FDBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Welcome back to Political Rewind, everybody. I'm Bill Nygut. I hope you all had a restful and, more importantly, healthy weekend. We're all set with another week of shows for you uh, on GPB Radio. Uh, We have a really good mixture of shows, I think, for you this week. Today we're going to talk a lot about the science uh, of coronavirus and talk about the health factors involved in the virus. We're going to have a political show for you tomorrow in which we'll look at the elections. Uh, later in the week, we are going to uh, have Dr. Ray Kotwicki, who's the chief medical officer at Skyland Trails, a psychiatrist there, to come back and talk with us about mental health issues in terms of the virus. So we've got a lot of of, of uh, content for you that uh, will uh, take us from politics to the coronavirus. And today, I'm really delighted that we have a terrific group who are going to help us understand some of the aspects of the virus that may still be uh, troubling us. Uh, let me start by saying Jim Galloway, he's a lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and he joins me on Mondays and Fridays for the show. You read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the uh, Dead Tree edition of the paper, and uh, he oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com, and I'll bet he spent the weekend, as you said you were going to do, Jim, doing some woodworking. Yeah, yeah, sometimes you have to make things in order to make things. This was a make-things-to-make-things day. Weekend. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know if I want to go into that, but we'll just take your word for it. Uh, we're welcoming back uh, Scott Steiner. He's the president and CEO of Phoebe Putney Medical Center in uh, Albany. And uh, Scott, we're awfully glad to have you back. Um, we've had you on this show in some of the hardest times for Phoebe Putney. And I think today we are going to be talking with you about um, some of the better news that you have out of Phoebe Putney. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, Bill, that's a, that's a fair assessment. Thanks for uh, having us on today. We'll, well, I think we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. We, we st- still have challenges, but uh, we'll, we'll certainly get into that. And of course, as the show goes on, we want to hear about some of the challenges and how you dealt with them as uh, perhaps practical steps that, uh, that can be taken elsewhere in the state. And we're joined by two uh, first-time panelists for Political Rewind. Both of them are medical doctors and professors. Uh, Dr. Kamara Jones is an MD and professor of community health and preventive medicine at Morehouse School of Medicine. And I believe you're a visiting professor. Is that the right uh, uh, description of the work you do at the Rollins School of Public Health at Emory University, Dr. Jones? So I'm an adjunct professor at Rollins, but actually this year I am a Radcliffe Fellow at the Harvard School of Public Health, so I'm actually um, trying to make my way back to Atlanta as we speak. I, You know, I was, I was going to mention that next. Uh, now I'm feeling intimidated uh, by your presence on the show, but I'll try to get over it. <laughs> Thank you very much for being here. And uh, also Dr. Harry Hyman who is a medical doctor and professor of health management and policy at Georgia State University. Uh, Harry, I've been reading you in the uh, quoted in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for some time around the virus, and I'm really glad we're getting to have a chance to talk to you on the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity, Bill. Okay, so I want to start this show by reading you all a passage from The Atlantic 
which appeared this weekend. It's an article, the beginning of an article, uh, uh, by Amanda Mull, a staff writer at The Atlantic. And, and the reason I want to read this is, from my point of view, this sort of sets the tone for everything, all of the topics that I think we're going to talk about today. Here's what Amanda Mull, Amanda Mull writes. The most universal experience of the coronavirus pandemic in America might not be a sense of fear or anxiety, but a, conf a profound confusion over what exactly is going on. Novel pathogens are confounding by definition, and since the first COVID-19 case was confirmed in the United States in January, information about severity, spread, and a seemingly ever-expanding list of symptoms has trickled slowly and inconsistently, inconsistently out of emergency rooms and local health departments. Conditions are improving in some of the country's major cities, she goes on, but outbreaks continue to grow in others, as well as in prisons and rural areas, especially those that are homes to large meatpacking plants. Every state tests at a different rate, makes those tests available to different types of people, and counts the results differently in official statistics. As some states have begun to partially lift shelter-in-place orders and allow businesses such as restaurants and hair salons to reopen, one particularly high-stakes point of confusion has emerged. When can you tell if a state's reopening guidelines are keeping infection numbers down, and how long do you have to wait before you feel sure? I know that was a lot to read, but Jim Galloway, I have to say, as, as a journalist, that summarizes for me exactly the difficulty that I have found in how we address what's happening here. What about you? Well, it's kind of yeah. It's, uh, the, the the metaphor that I've, I I'm hit with most often is is like trying to build a plane while you're flying it. I think uh, uh, Dr. Hyman has something to say about this. Yeah, um, I I think I was actually quoted as uh, as saying it's like trying to fly a plane on on, in a, on a really cloudy day without radar. Um, but but I think the the most important thing that, that that's missing is is leadership. Um, I, I think uh, at times of a crisis, we rely on our leadership to provide a clear and consistent voice and clear and consistent messaging about what the problem is, um, about how the problem is being addressed, about what we know, about what we don't know, uh, and about how we're going to get from what we don't know uh, to, to what we need to know. And, and I think what, what we're seeing uh, both nationally and at the state level is, is a piecemeal approach to managing a pandemic, which is which is really a recipe for failure, um, and, and so I think that's that's a big part of what's driving the confusion. And I have to build on that, um, Dr. Hyman. Um, another part of the confusion is that from the beginning in this country, we have been treating the coronavirus pandemic not as the public health issue that it is, but rather as a medical care problem. So. At the very beginning, our testing was not the kind of population-based widespread public health surveillance testing you would do, but it was confirming the diagnosis one by one, and people who were sick enough at that time to be in hospitals had to have a doctor's order and the like. And the fact that we haven't been treating this as a public health problem it is, but rather treating it as a medical care problem has made it a huge medical care problem that was at risk of overwhelming many of our health systems. So how would we treat this differently um, as a public health problem? Well, first of all, I have to say that our only strategies that work right now 
are the individual things of shelter in place, social distance, wear a mask, wash your face, don't touch, I mean, wash your hands and don't touch your face. But what we really need is a different kind of testing as well so that we can know what is happening in our communities today. And that kind of, that kind of leads, right, I wanna... leads directly into, uh, into uh, uh, the, the question of the CDC. I mean, uh, beginning on, on Friday, you saw, that you, you saw this, this blistering editorial out of The Lancet Saying, uh, complaining that the CDC had been sidelined, uh, you had uh, 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 a White House aide, uh, uh, top top White House aide uh, Navarro, uh, criticized the CDC, saying he they, they let the country down on in a in, on Meet the Press on Sunday. Uh, it, it's it's these are the, these are the kind of things you don't want to read in the midst of a pandemic. I don't think. Okay, so let me if I can. Hit the pause button for a second because you all are ex- you're sketching out themes that I want to address throughout the show today. So uh, if, if you don't mind, let me back up just a step because I think we're going to go down a list and take all of these things uh, in a way that we can expand on them more fully. Dr. Jones, I'm especially interested when we get to that point to hear what you mean by we need to do a different kind of testing. And we'll talk about all of that. But um, let me start. I'm going to get to Scott Steiner in a moment because I want to get your best practices down there. But but you, in fact, are going to be impacted by the same thing that the rest of the state is. And, Jim, you can start us off on this. Early voting began in Georgia this morning. Um, we have locations across the state, more limited than ever before. Each uh, precinct is supposed to be taking uh, precautions to deal with uh, potential for spreading the virus, hand sanitizer, distance between the voting booths, styluses that people can use instead of touching the screens, all that sort of thing. But Jim Galloway, the fact of the matter is uh, we're going to see people starting to t- show up and vote at a time when we simply don't know uh, what the dangers are of uh, the virus continuing to spread. And and by the way, Scott Steiner, they're going to start voting in Doherty County, too, obviously. But Jim, are you... What are you seeing as early voting gets underway? Well, number one, you've got about one point, uh, more than 1.4 uh, million requests for mail-in ballots. That's that's encourage, encouraging. We don't know how many of those ballots will be turned in. But I think what we're going to—I'm I'm kind of eyeballing uh, June 9th as the first major uh, kind of uh, group activity that, we've, that, that, that we're going to experience— uh, because so many people will probably want to will, will probably want to uh, cast their ballots in person. Uh, old people, older older voters like to do that. Uh, African Americans have a history of doing that, so uh, it, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, workers are going to be handing out styluses. To, we got touch new touch screen voting, which which is which which is great. They're great machines, uh, but they're not exactly what you want during a pandemic. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, Harry, I actually, should people be worried about showing up? Yeah, I, I would actually correct one of the things you said, Bill, where you, you, you kind of suggested that, you know, we don't really know what the impact of this is going to be. I think we do. Um, I think we know that this is not a safe practice. Uh, we know that the number one responsibility of government is to ensure the safety and security of the population. Um, voting by mail is safest. Uh, there is no way to vote in person and not increase your risk for contracting coronavirus. And that's true for June, and it will be as if not more true in November. Um, to the extent that right. 
we, to the extent that we don't have another option for June, um, rather than reducing number of polling places, we should rapidly ramp up the number of polling places uh, because the more polling places, the fewer people per polling place, and both the easier for access and the better for, for safety. Um, we also need to not only provide hand sanitizer, but provide face masks for everyone who shows up without their own to vote in person. So I, I think we, as a, as a society and, and, our, and our Secretary of State and, and leaders in particular, have a responsibility to ensure that if we're requiring people who weren't able to vote by mail this time to do it in person, that we have to ensure that it's, it's done in the safest way possible. All right. Let me get Scott Steiner uh, into the conversation. Uh, Scott, you have uh, worked uh, tirelessly along with uh, the, your medical team, uh, with public officials in Doherty County in Albany to uh, uh, try to tamp down the virus. Uh, and now you're going to have polling places open there as well. Um, you're welcome to address that, but but in a more general way, help us as we set up our conversation moving forward here, know how things are going right now in Albany, what you think about people showing up at polling places, and where you expect to be in the weeks ahead. Thanks, Bill. Um, well, you know, we are, uh, you know, we're cautiously optimistic about where we're going with the number of, of positive uh, coronavirus cases here in southwest Georgia. Uh, we, you know, today we just got the numbers. We've got uh, 40 uh, positive uh, here in Albany, another 10 in, in Sumter in the hospital. We, we, uh, we operate there, uh, Sumter County to our north. Um, so that that's from a high of uh, over 180 uh, just about five weeks ago. So we're we're seeing that that that's positive. That the number of positive tests in the community uh, is coming down. Um, you know, for us. Uh, we really looking at two events. Uh, one was Mother's Day, and one is Memorial Day coming up, and and seeing what happens three to seven days uh, post that event. Uh, for Mother's Day, uh, we have seen a bit of a spike um, in uh, since Friday. Now it's not huge, uh, but you know it, you know, could be coincidental. But uh, but we are seeing that. So, you know, we're we're we're, we're you know, one we're we're paying attention to to serving our community and and uh, doing that as we've done since the beginning of this. Uh, what we have to do going forward, we're getting ready to open a simulation lab, and one of the great uh, pieces with that is you can have simulated uh, coronavirus patients, COVID nineteen patients, and 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 how we can use that technology and that uh, not only today but as we think about a fall a fall spike. So we're already, you know, preparing for not even an, a, a sur- another surge here, but for what comes in the fall. Um, I think as far as polling places go, you know, what I tell you, and, and Dr. Hyman said it, you know, I, I, I'm just a believer. Everybody's got to be in a mask. Uh, the only reason I'm not in a mask right now is because I'm in my office alone. Uh, but everybody's got to be in a mask, washing their hands, socially distancing when possible. And I think if we can do that at polling places, uh, I think we'll be successful. But when, I, when I've seen the pictures at, at a Home Depot or a Lowe's or a Sam's or a Walmart or a Publix and, and 20% are in masks, uh, we know this virus uh, spreads in there's super spreaders, but more it's super spreader events. And what we have to make sure is that 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 polling and that that uh, that going to vote doesn't become a super spreader event. Dr. Jones, how do you we start? You know, I thought Scott said something very interesting there. He said, "Well, we saw a little spike after Mother's Day. We're looking for three 
days down the road, a week down the road. Uh, it, it, this is part of the thing that makes us all so puzzled, is now that Governor Kemp has opened up the state, we don't quite know what to make of the numbers and how we might see them progress or continue to fall. I mean, how, how do we, should we be looking at this, Dr. Jones? Well, yes. So it's a big problem when you're not doing um, the kind of testing in a surveillance way where you can know that your estimate can blow up and say, we know that this many people in Albany are infected today. So what we're using is we're testing part of the people who are infected, only the symptomatics for the most part. And we already know that between 25 percent and 60 percent of people have been estimated to get this infection, be able to spread it, but never have symptoms. So that's the first problem is that the CDC criteria still talk about symptomatic. And the only times that we're doing that we're kind of testing symptomatic and asymptomatic people is when we go into a nursing home or into a prison or sometimes when we go into a meatpacking plant. But we need to be. So I'm not saying we have to test everybody in Atlanta, for example, every week, but we can do what's called probability sampling. The same kind of sampling that the health department does all the time with our telephone surveys, the same kind of sampling that the uh, CDC does with our national health and nutrition examination surveys. We know how to do this so that we can test a sample of people, which would give us an estimate today of how much infection is there. And it would allow us especially to identify asymptomatic people and start isolating them and doing the contact tracing on them that we also need to be doing for the symptomatic. So the big problem is instead of saying, oh, let's, let's, uh, here we come to, to Memorial Day, okay, now, and I think it's not even three to seven days, it's really two to 14 days. It could take two to 14 days for symptoms to show up. So, so then we're going to wait for 14 days to know that we had a big event that happened two weeks before, and now knowing that this virus, especially without masks, is spreading exponentially, We'll have no idea. It will be late to the game and unable to control. The main problem with our testing is that we're documenting the course of the pandemic and we're not doing the kind of testing that can allow us to change the course of the pandemic. That's the big problem right there. But, but Dr. Hyman, why don't you weigh in on this? Yeah, I think I think the other problem is that we're 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 getting a lot of um, confusing. Uh, I'll call it political speak because this is political rewind. Um, about what the data means. On, on, on the one hand, you know, you have the um, governor saying that, you know, uh, and I'm talking about Georgia, the, you have Governor Kemp talking about, you know, we're, we're, we're following the data and that's guiding us. And then, um, you know, uh, stunningly, uh, a week later, you have the commissioner from the Department of Public Health um, acknowledge that, well, yeah, we, we kind of opened up the business, businesses, even though we didn't meet any of the White House um, gating criteria, the very basic criteria showing downward trends in, in cases and, and illness. And, and then she kind of adds to that, but um, we're looking at many things, not just the data. Um, and then just this past week, you have the, the governor talk about, you know, how he's excited about the percent of positive tests going down, even as we ramp up testing. Well, that's exactly what anyone would expect, right? You start broadening the number of people you test, not just people who are highly symptomatic, and the percent of positive will go down. So, so I think, again, it goes back to the earlier point we talked about in regard to clear messaging with the public about what's going on 
And, and that clear messaging is important in terms of the public's understanding of their sense of risk. If they get a sense that, well, everything's going back to normal, they will behave like things are going back to normal. If they get a sense that, yes, we're making progress, but everyone has to be um, very um, strict um, about maintaining the kinds of protection um, that Scott talked about in terms of distancing and masks, um, then, 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 then I think there's a way forward. Hey, uh, Bill, let me jump in and, and, and pitch something at, 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 at Scott Steiner here. Uh, uh, Mr. Steiner, your, your, your area of Georgia has, has been one of the hardest hit in the, in the entire nation. And I think what, what, what both Dr. Jones and Dr. Hyman were, were describing is, is kind of there are, there, there's some social fatigue with this social, with, with, with how we're, how we're having to behave in a, in a pandemic. And I'm, I'm just wondering, number one, how is your community at large dealing with that? And then very specifically, how, how is your, how is your hospital personnel uh, dealing with this fatigue? Because they've got to be exhausted. Yeah, Jim, you know, I appreciate that. They, you know, what we've tried to do is, as we've come on the backside of the sort of, you know, of the, of our peak is to, and, and, and really um, due to the governor's support, and I have to give him credit, he, he really brought in some resources and assets, and, and part of it was staffing. Uh, you know, for those, that first six or eight weeks, it was, it was all of our staff, and, and they were working doubles, and I think we had 54,000 hours of overtime in, in uh, a four-week period. And, and so, again, thanks to the governor and, and his team, they did bring in additional resources and, and, and people. And that's, I always think, there were, people say, well, do we have enough beds and different, you know, enough space? The, the space is the easy part. It's, it's those critical care nurses. So uh, because we, the governor did that, we, we've been able to give people some rest and, and some, uh, some much-needed time off. That doesn't mean what they've been through, it's over and it's clear of their heads. You know, we know there's a big mental health piece uh, coming post this event, not only here in Albany, but throughout, throughout the world. Um, some of these, these clinicians have seen things and had to do things they, they, they only had read about and, and, and maybe had nightmares about, uh, but the decisions they had to make are, are going are gonna to be long-lasting. And so we're paying attention to that. We've got a, a, a group, and, and we're going to resource that as we think about going into the future, that mental health aspect of, of our care team. And that's just not nurses i mean that's that's doctors that's that's housekeepers that's respiratory therapists uh you know uh, this has been an event and we're paying close attention to it and we're trying to get get some distraction as well last week was hospital week and and while we couldn't celebrate that in in the normal ways we tried to again celebrate that team and 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 have opportunities for them to disconnect even even just for a weekend or or a few moments so something jim we're absolutely paying attention to and and those those chapters still have to be written and, and how, how about the community at large? Are they yeah. are they tired of what they're going through? Are they are yeah. they giving up? Yeah, no, I don't think they're giving up. I, I tell you, we've got an incredible community here in Albany. I, again, you know, nobody said nobody raised their hand and said, "Gee, let it come here first. Uh, you know, we were ten days before New York really busted, and 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 so you know, it happened, and uh, we were prepared. I think as well as we could have been. We've dealt with it. The community has been incredibly supportive. I think in general, uh, do people just want to go shop or they want to just do things? Absolutely, we're seeing that. But you know, I was talking to a group of pastors. Uh, on Friday, and they were asking our opinion about, gee, 
you know, what about this and what about that? Is we were also sending them that article out of out of Washington State about that choir where uh, most of the choir picked it picked it up from one choir practice, and you know, just from the deep inhaling and breathing and one person that was infected. And so, you know, they were already on top of it. They said, hey, we've suspended choir practice for for you know until we can see in 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 the future. And they they went, ran through what they were going to do. Uh, I was impressed. I mean, they you know they were they were going to be vigilant with it, and and so. So we are seeing that. Are people fatigued a little bit? Absolutely, but I don't think there's any any despair out there. So uh, we got to get to a break, but uh, I wanted to just mention that Tom Faust just sent me a note that kind of refers to what you're talking about in your community, Scott. 54,000 hours of overtime for medical personnel. Uh, That's a staggering uh, figure. Does that is that just your team, or are you? Is that the statewide number that we're looking at right now? No, that's just Phoebe Putney. That's unbelievable, and that also raises a question. We'll get to a little later in the show, which is that uh, there are others. Hot, there are hospitals in the state, and I think Phoebe Putney is not right now one of them that are not getting the money from the federal government that was uh, committed to uh, helping hospitals uh, pay for many of the costs. You did pretty well on that, I believe, Scott. But I know that uh, there are hospitals around the state that are feeling that they've been neglected. And we'll talk about that a little later in the show. I want to move forward. We're going to take a break now. But I thought Jim Galloway said something interesting that I can't wait to hear our doctors, uh, Jim Galloway and Scott Steiner, talk about. And that is, what does it mean if we're becoming weary of sheltering in place, following all the rules? What does that mean for our future? And I've got a great quote from the Washington Post to read to all of you to talk about when we come back. This is Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Uh, I've got a great panel today. Scott Steiner, Steiner, President and CEO of Phoebe Putney Medical Center down there in Albany. Uh, Dr. Kamara Jones, who is a professor of community health and preventive medicine at Morehouse, but right now is... um, uh, doing a what? What is that? What are you doing? Are you doing a residency up there, uh, Dr. Jones? I don't want to say it wrong. I'm a Radcliffe Fellow at Harvard. Thank you, Radcliffe Fellow at Harvard. That's fine. Uh, Dr. Harry Hyman, who's a doctor and a professor of health management and policy at Georgia State University. Um, and, and of course, Jim Galloway, who's my partner on every Monday and Friday show. Okay, so uh, I. Uh, Harry Hyman and uh, Kamara Jones, I really want to hear your take on a, on a story that the Washington Post, and everybody else can weigh in as well. The Washington Post published a story this morning. One of their reporters went up to Avalon, which is the big, very high-end uh, development, mixed-use development up in Alpharetta. It's been open since, I think, like 2014. The correspondent was up there over the weekend. And here, again, I'm going to read Little Reader's Theater again. Here's the lead. 
The sky was blue, the sun was rising, and as the death toll from the coronavirus continued to soar across much of America, the fountain switched on in Avalon, a development of restaurants and shops in a wealthy corner of suburban Atlanta. It was time for life to resume, George's governor had decided, so a masked worker swept the, thres- the threshold of Chanel. A clerk brushed off windows at Fabrique, that had gathered dust. A gardener fluffed pink roses in planters along the sidewalks where signs on doors said what so many had been waiting to hear, open, red one, welcome back, said another. In this grand gamble, Georgia has gone first with Governor Brian Kemp dismissing public health experts who've warned that opening too soon could cause a catastrophic surge of deaths, placing his faith instead in the citizens of Georgia to make up their own minds about risks and sacrifices they were willing to accept. What the reporter goes on to document is people standing together, restaurants being literally crowded without distancing between the tables. People were not wearing masks. Dr. Jones and then Dr. Hyman, what is this behavior going to lead us to? It's going to lead to um, much more infection because... This virus only has one job, which is to reproduce itself, to replicate itself. And so even though it hit certain populations earlier and harder, those were the populations that have been, um, you know, have structural disadvantage baked into our society. So we have, you know, black populations, brown populations, indigenous populations hit harder and first. They're not going to be the only ones hit. And I think that that's part of the confusion, that some people feel, well, that's not for me. They also, people don't understand that in some places, maybe just zero to 5% of the population has been infected, and we don't even know if they're immune or not. Up to, I would say, maybe 20% in New York City may have been affected and may have antibodies, but we still don't know if they're immune. That means that there are a lot of a lot of people who are susceptible to this virus yet, and it's highly infectious. I just want to leave you with an image. I, I do a lot of uh, communication through images and allegories, and I don't have the perfect one yet. So I'm going to tell you that right now. But in my mind, we do not understand that we are under siege, that we're under siege by what I am thinking of right now as snipers outside. So if you go outside... There are snipers who aren't going to get everybody. It's not somebody with an automatic weapon, but they're snipers. And what you need to do, the safest place is in your home, right? But if you go out, you need to protect yourself with the body armor and all, which is actually the way we're protecting ourselves is protecting each other. My mask protects you. Your mask protects me. But we need to do that kind of thing. And the scariest thing about this is even if you're not hit by the sniper, you might inadvertently let a sniper into your home behind you, and then that sniper has a much higher chance of getting everybody else in your home. So this is, we, we are not, I'm not trying to instill fear, but it's a fearful thing. This is a deadly disease that is not a respecter of anybody's station or geography or anything. It is making its way through the people. Its only job is to reproduce itself, and we need to take it seriously. All right, so and, Dr. And, Hyman, and, uh, is there a point... Let me let me just ask this, and then you can say you can talk about any part of these you want. Is there a point, though, to uh, the governor's assertion and other uh, 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 public officials' assertions that we have a responsibility in this too? Social distancing, wearing masks. Um, it, the public has to play a role as well as uh, towing the line in terms of whether elected leaders say a state 
or a community is open or closed, don't we? Yeah, you know, so Bill, public health is about creating the conditions for people to be healthy. Um, part of creating those conditions means not putting people in situations where they need to make choices between what's good for their health and paying their rent uh, or, you know, having to go to work using public transportation, which may put them at risk. So I think, I think part, of the, part of the challenge here is that it sounds good to say that we're relying on Georgians to make responsible decisions, but um, if, I'm, if I'm renting an apartment uh, and about a, a third of the population in our state rents um, and my rent is due, uh, and we don't have a moratorium on evictions uh, in our state. Um, and my, 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 my job opens back up and I either come to work or, or lose my job. It's, it's not really a, a real choice. Uh, and then I go to work. And if my employer isn't providing me um, what I need to be safe in terms of ensuring um, social distancing, uh, providing me with personal protective equipment. Um, so, uh, again, I think I think. Um, Kamara um, appropriately made, made, made the point, which I hope we can talk to more about the disproportionate impact this pandemic is having on um, communities of color and low-income workers. But that, that lead-in um, quote you had from the Washington Post, you know, you were talking about the gardeners um, and, uh, and the servers and, and, and the other people maintaining the grounds. They, 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 they don't have a, a true choice in the way that you and I might um, sitting in the comfort of our, of our home, working behind a computer um, about, about those kinds of things. And we haven't created the, the policy safety net around ensuring that people are, are stable in their homes and have access to food and the other things they need to be, to be healthy to allow them to make those responsible choices. Yeah, I, Jim, I wanted to get you and Scott back in here, but I do want to point out, you know, we have tried to really focus on, on any number of our shows on the disproportionate impact this virus has had on um, especially African-Americans. And I want to we have to continue that. We cannot let that go because it's an example. Uh, it's just one more example of how the virus is exposing in even more dramatic terms the uh, schisms that exist among us in our communities uh, today. And, and so, yes, I'm glad you brought that up, Dr. Hyman. And, and Dr. Jones, I'd love to have you get into that. Jim, though, let's continue, and then we, we can turn back to that. Um, Jim, I don't go out. I'm 73 years old. I have not been to a store in weeks. Um, and I try uh, uh, to, you know, I'm going a little crazy here. You don't go out much. You're younger than I, but you're still in that risk group. Uh, you get, to, I think you go to Costco every now and then on sen- at seniors hour, but yeah, we, we're we not do, we, going anywhere. No, we, and, and I, I will tell you what I want to, uh, we, 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 my wife and I made two stops yesterday, uh, one to pick up lunch at a takeout, a restaurant takeout. And, uh, the other, I had, I did have to go into Lowe's to pick up a, uh, a bit of wood and, and, <laughs> and I will tell you, I, each, each time I was masked and gloved. You know, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, and dispose of the gloves as soon, as soon as I walked out the door. Uh, you know, but but getting back to to what Mr. Hyman's and 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 Dr. Hyman and Dr. Jones were, were saying, it, it, one thing that I that that's really stand stood out in in this uh, uh, in this pandemic is is the different is the measurable responses 
the difference, the measurable, measurable differences in responses between Democrats and Republicans. You know, Republicans have been far more skeptical of it, and that's why of 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 the the, the need to take precautions, and and that's that's why I think Governor Kemp's decision to to to, to don a mask whenever he's out in public, I think that that that, that uh, did a tremendous amount of good. Um, Mr. Steiner, I'm, I'm wondering is is has the has the skepticism barrier been broken down in Doherty County? Is does everybody actually now appreciate much more the the the, the is there a commonality of response here? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, uh, you know, there, it's 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 been an interesting you know it's an interesting period. At first, uh, people there were, there was the rumor out there that it couldn't affect African Americans, and uh, we had to get out and and tell people you know. And as Dr. Jones has said, this virus doesn't care. Uh, this virus is has one job, and it's to it's to infect, it's to attack. Uh, and and so I, I don't think there's uh, skeptic, uh, skepticism in our in our community in Southwest Georgia. I think I think you know again. There's there's some fatigue uh, with you know not being able to do what we're we're normally uh, able to do. I think there's this sort of you know hey we're Americans and you can't tell me you know uh, you can't tell me to wear a mask and and you know there's a bit of that that out there. But I think for the most part people people understand it. They know it can affect them and they know people that have been affected. They know people that have passed away. Um, you know we had a, a, a judge here locally who who passed away because they got it through a trial. Um, you know, this it 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 can affect anyone, any age. We know it certainly can be slanted towards the towards uh, the, those that are older, those that have comorbidities. Um, but you know, it you know, what's interesting is we have more African Americans that have uh, that have contracted the virus here in Southwest Georgia, but the the uh, the mortality rate for the white uh, the 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 white population has been uh, almost 50 percent higher. Um, you know, again, maybe it's a tyranny of smaller numbers, uh, but, you know, we won't know until we really get into the data uh, down the road. But, um, you know, I think our community is doing a good job in taking it seriously uh, as much as I've seen any others. Dr. Jones, have you seen – there's obviously been uh, a lot of reporting in recent weeks on, uh, again, the disproportionate impact on African Americans. Um, but given that the story has been out there for a while, are you seeing any reason to believe that it's having an impact on elected officials, on public officials, on health, uh, 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 you know, uh, facilities around the country? Uh, is anybody doing anything? Well, that's such a great question, Bill, because we can't just notice or document this disproportionate impact, we need to act. And so in order to act, we have to figure out why are we seeing that? And my analysis is that it's a twofold issue, that black Americans are more exposed and less protected. So those two things together make them more likely to get infected. And then once infected, they're more burdened by chronic disease and have less access to health care, which makes them more likely to die or have at least a severe experience of the infection. And so we need to address the, the, the causes and solutions for each of those four things. The two things that, re, that result in us getting more infected, more exposed, so we already talked a little bit about that, you know, because of um, occupational 
segregation, we're more likely to be in frontline jobs, often low paying without paid sick leave, un, you know, no accumulated wealth, not able to just say take this job and shove it or to you know, stay at home. Uh, safely. So we're more exposed in the jobs there, but we're also more exposed because we're overrepresented among homeless populations. We're more exposed because we're overrepresented in the prisons, all of that. So in terms of what do you do policy-wise, well, we need to, um, to make it more feasible for more people to safely stay at home. So that means, you know, in addition to the one-time $1,200 per person, we need to consider what's being proposed, I think, at least in the House bill of, you know, a monthly payment to enable families and people to stay at home. We need to decarcerate folks. We need to safely house uh, unhoused people, not in shelters all crowded together. So there are many things like that. In terms of being less protected, which is also contributing to having uh, higher infection rates, for those who are who, who we need to be, you know, they're the, the, the public transport drivers, the custodians and sanitation people in the hospitals, the postal workers. Um, I don't know that we need meat, meat packing people there because we can all eat vegetarian, but anyway. Uh, so, but, you know, but the people, that, you know, the sanitation, all of these people who are essential, they need to have the protective equipment that they need. They need to have hazard pay. They need to have paid sick leave and all of those protections. So that's how we do on that one side. In terms of once we're infected, we're more likely to have chronic diseases. Well, that is because of, of decades, generations of disinvestment in communities and racial residential segregation, which turns into segregation in terms of exposure to environmental hazards and segregation in terms of the availability of healthy foods or even green space and the like. So we do, in the long term, have to invest in our communities to turn those situations around. But in the short term, we have to recognize if these populations are being more highly impacted, we need to have more testing available in those populations. Maybe, and certainly still not restricted to people who are symptomatic. So maybe you do community testing, one block by one block testing everybody, so you kind of have a sense of what's going on. We need to enable people who are positive to have a safe way to isolate, not sending them back into housing that might be multi-generational or lots of people crowded in. So we need to, to do you know, what they did in Singapore and other countries and have isolation centers that are even for, for low level, you know, people who aren't drastically ill, but who, have, who are infected, where nurses could monitor temperatures and oxygen saturation levels twice a day. So anyway, right. uh, I've got on to get on and on. I've, I, I thank you for, for, for telling us all of that. I do, though, have to get to a break right now. When we come back, we've got time to uh, talk about a couple other issues related to the coronavirus here in Georgia and, for that matter, in the United States. You're listening to Political Rewind. Welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. Quick note uh, before we move on. Uh, I spent a good amount of time this weekend uh, reading and responding to as many of your emails as I could. I continue to really want to hear from you. It's so gratifying to me to hear how you're experiencing the coronavirus, how it's impacting your lives. Uh, I do try to respond to each of you. But but I have to say, in general, the thing that really is... um, uh, really rewarding about them is most of you say that the experience you, you're having problems there are difficulties we're all experiencing that but how many of you feel like you're doing okay uh, and that's heartening and so continue to write me I'm at b nigut b n i g u t at gpb dot org 
Dr. Hyman, I know you wanted to uh, respond to what you heard from Dr. Jones, and let me add a layer to whatever you wanted to say. You started out in this program talking about a lack of leadership. I assume that you see that across the board from federal, from the White House down. Uh, Jim Galloway has already alluded to the fact that Peter Navarro over the weekend, one of the president's closest advisors, uh, was uh, dismissive of CDC's work. Um, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, at this point, we focus on Georgia numbers all the time. The United States has like 4.5% of the world's population, and we are rapidly approaching having a third of the COVID-19 cases in the world. And I assume that speaks uh, directly to the kind of leadership we're getting. But go ahead, Dr. Hyman. You know, I, I would say two things about that, and we, we touched on it earlier. Look, look, we have a uh, premier federal public health agency right here in Atlanta uh, that deploys all over the world to address epidemics uh, and, and, and serious disease outbreaks. And for reasons that uh, I can't fully explain, but I could certainly make some educated guesses, uh, they've been told to stand down. And I think one of the most stunning examples of that uh, was when they came out with uh, 17 pages of guidance uh, and guidelines for how businesses can safely open up. Uh, and it was essentially shelved by the White House and replaced by about six pages of infographics. Uh, I think in the absence of clear evidence-based um, federal leadership uh, and coordination across the country, this continued piecemeal approach to managing a pandemic is going to lead to the numbers that we're seeing. Um, I think on the state level, we have similar problems when we have a commissioner of public health who says, you know, um, that it's, it's, it's not just the data that's guiding their decisions. Um, you know, what we're seeing is this false choice between addressing the public health crisis and addressing the economic crisis. And I think um, certainly all public health experts and I would say most economists recognize that we can't reasonably address the economic crisis and open up the economy unless we control the public health crisis to the point that we can do that in a safe way. Um, if I can just add Scott, one you... kind of one, one, one quick local local layer to um, the numbers from Dr. Jones, um, I'm also struck that when the governor and commissioner of public health talk about vulnerable populations in our state, um, they don't reference the fact that African-Americans make up about 30 percent of the population of our state, but to date make up 49 percent of the COVID-related deaths uh, and about a similar percentage of the, of the cases. But I have, to, I have to do a little bit of, of statistical manipulation to get at that number because we still have, quote, missing and unknown race and ethnicity status for about 25 percent of the of the cases, which candidly is unacceptable. Um, so I think to Dr. Jones point, knowing that um, inaction in the face of that harm is unacceptable. That requires us to be very mindful of what we're opening up and how we're doing it in a way that ensures the health and safety of those populations at greatest risk. You know, Scott, um Mentioning that we don't have data on uh, so many uh, uh, victims of this disease does say something about the preparedness of uh, of the state to deal with something a pandemic of this sort. You you would think that would be one of the first things that you would want to find is who's getting the disease, uh, their ages, 
their uh, race and ethnicity, uh, and yet um, there's no consistency across the state. And I suspect that's because, and, and you would know this down in your area, Scott, we're governed by a group, uh, by county health public health facilities across the state rather than an overarching state public health agency. I mean, we have that, but it, each county determines its own destiny, right? That's right. <clears throat> they have uh, they have regions. I think our uh, public health uh, director here uh, serves. Uh, I think it's in excess of 15 counties. Uh, the public health department. So there can be quite a bit of uh, just just geography and and uh, in what the public health department uh, you know is trying to cover. And we've known you know from the beginning, not the very beginning, but I'd say our four or five days in, we realized wow, we better get our act together around the data uh, because one, we we knew we wanted to be transparent. Transparent, uh, and I think we have been uh, because if we were if we're not transparent, then you know then then it's sort of chaos uh, chaos ensues. People will fill in the blanks with whatever they want to fill the blanks in with, and and I you know, I think the state has has you know has realized that may albeit a little bit late, but I, I you know I can't I, I it's a it's a mystery to me why there's still this great percentage of unknown races. I could tell you every race of every patient that we've had tested here, uh, and I would venture that that uh, every hospital in 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 the state of Georgia also has that. So we've got to true that up uh, because you know boy if if we don't if we don't learn from this we will certainly repeat it. Hey, um, you know Jim, um, I'm glad. Go ahead, Jim. No, no, I was, uh, and th- th- this, I-, I hope I'm not veering, uh, uh, veering too far off course here, but uh, Mr. Steiner, where the state right now is facing a kind of a $4 billion shut uh, 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 loss in, in state revenue. Have you been brought into any conversation about how, how, how public health spending ought to be uh, handled in, 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 this, in this area, in this era? Uh, you know, you, there's the, the money is money is disappearing, uh, and the need is is ever greater. That's right. You know, uh, we've certainly, from the state standpoint, we've heard Speaker Ralston and, and the appropriations chairs, uh, both at the Senate and the House, talk. We've I've been on Zoom conferences with them. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of details coming out about how the state's going to get their their budget balanced and and what the the, the budget's going to look like. You know, from from the the uh, from the healthcare standpoint, there there's a there's a tremendous amount of need, and and there look the, we know everybody's hurting. This is a, everybody's hurting in the community, not just hospitals, not just you know uh, small businesses. Everybody is. So, you know, uh, there there's been a lot of discussions, uh, not a lot of details. Uh, they're going to get back to going here in in a few weeks, and and it should be an interesting. Uh, it's going to be a, a sprint uh, to get to that July 1st date, and uh, a lot of eyes are going to be open uh, because it's going to be painful. Uh, there's going to have to be some some give and take. So, um, you know, Jim, we've got we're waiting and see what, what's going to happen. Dr. Jones, we're rapidly running out of time, but uh, as I just mentioned, the emails I'm getting are mostly positive takes on how people are getting along. I want to end on a positive note on this show. Morehouse School of Medicine just graduated a class of doctors over the weekend who are preparing to get out there and work to fight the virus. First of all, congratulations. I I know you're up at Harvard right now, but uh, it, it must be thrilling to you that your current class is going to be able to join this fight. Yes, the Morehouse School of Medicine prides itself, first of all, on leading the creation and advancement of health equity. Um, That is our mission, and our students um, 
we are committed to um, to going to where the need is. And so I think that you're going to find that our students throughout Georgia and actually throughout the nation, but a lot of, a lot of our students stay in Georgia and work, um, will be amazing. So, yes. Well, congratulations on that. Um, all right. We are basically just about out of time uh, for today's show. Jim Galloway, thank you. Uh, Dr. Harry Hyman. Uh, Dr. Jones, thank you. Scott Steiner, always a pleasure to have you with us on Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. We're back with another show tomorrow. Until then, take care and please stay healthy. See you tomorrow.